0: If you have a Bible or a phone or an iPad or your neighbor does, you can dig off of their, um, their scripture. We're gonna be in the Gospel of John. Uh, we've been, as a church, walking through the Gospel of John um, since last May. Uh, we began last May, so we we're over a year walking through uh, the Gospel of John. Just um, I, I heard it explained like this one day. If, if, you, um, if you go through the book of John, if you read the Gospel of John in the scripture, it's as if you had put sandals on and are walking beside Jesus. John does such a really good job of, of, of capturing the, 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 the moments of Jesus' ministry here on earth. And so uh, we felt like it would be um, a, a really good thing for our church family to just walk through this book. And so we've been doing that for well over a year now. Um, and we find ourselves this morning in chapter 14. Uh, we've been in chapter 14 for a couple of weeks, and so uh, that's where we'll be today. And I'll just kind of catch you up a little bit, give you a little bit of background um, what what's going on in the text today is that Jesus has been describing his relationship with his father. He's saying this is a very intimate relationship, a very close relationship that I have with my father and he and you can just see that intimacy even before he closed out his public ministry. Now he where he's at right now, he's in a closed room with his disciples. Uh, he's no longer out in the streets or in the temple uh, preaching anymore. He's now kind of closed that chapter of his life down, and, and now he's moved into this closed room, and he's talking with just his disciples, and he's getting really, really uh, kind of pulling those layers back and, and kind of calling those last-minute plays before he goes to the cross. Um, and so before he did that in John chapter 10, he said, um, I and the, and the Father are one, um, just kind of talking about that intimate relationship that they had with, with each other. And then in, when we opened up John chapter 14 a few weeks ago, we saw where Jesus said, whoever has seen me has seen the Father. When you look at Jesus, you're looking at God. When you look at Jesus, you're looking at the Father. And then he would go on to say, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life, and no one comes through the, to the Father except through me. And that's very exclusive And I don't know your background or where you come from today or what you believe. Um, I know many friends that I have, they believe that there's a a bunch of different ways to God. And if you believe that, then you don't believe what Jesus said, because Jesus said, I'm the only way, and I'm the only truth, and I'm the life, and no one gets to the Father unless they come through me. So words of exclusivity, uh, and so just a basic summary of that. When you go to Jesus, you go to God. When you you go to Jesus, you go to God, and when you believe in Jesus, you believe in God. And conversely, if you don't believe in Jesus, you don't believe in God. That's what Jesus is trying to say here. And you and I, we've been invited into this this relationship of intimacy that Jesus is talking about, the one he has with with his father. And last week, we saw what happens in the context of this relationship. We see some of the overflow of what goes on there, not what should happen when we're in this relationship with Jesus, not what's supposed to happen, but what will happen. Jesus said, these things will happen. He said, you will do the works that I do. When you're in this relationship with me and my Father this way, you will do, just definitely will do the works that, that, that I do. And not only that, you're going to do greater works You're gonna do greater works than than I did. And so we had to break that down because uh, I don't know if you're familiar with the stories of Jesus and some of the things that he did in Scripture, but just to name a couple, he walked on water. He took a little bit of a snack and fed nearly 20,000 people just by multiplying it. He raised a dead guy who'd been dead for four days. Lazarus raised him from the grave, raised him back to life. And Jesus would say, you're gonna do greater works than me. Now he's not talking about these miraculous things that he did. He's saying exponentially across the globe, the, 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 message of the gospel, the, the declaration of the message that I am preaching and the demonstration. See, we don't just talk about it. There's action to follow. If we believe what Jesus said, then there's, there's a, a message to be preached, but then there's also action that follows that. And he said, those two things were the primary thrust of my ministry here on earth in these 3 years those two things declaration and demonstration Every day, just demonstrating the gospel, declaring the gospel, telling people the good news, and he says, you're gonna do greater works than that because guess what? This world, just a, just a reminder, a recap from last week, this, this world, the, the fabric of our society is continually deteriorating, okay? So in, in Jesus' day, um, the darkness uh, was obviously there and present, uh, but Jesus was located geographically in this one little place, this one little time, and he says, the world's going to continue to deteriorate. And that's where the greater works are going to come in for those who follow me. And so he made these promises. He said, that's just going to be a natural overflow of walking in this relationship with me and my father. It's just a natural overflow. And he says, you, you ask me for anything and I will deliver on it. I will give it to you. And we, we looked at that word like ask and what that meant. That was, we we kind of honed in on that word last week. And it's not just an an inquisition is not just wanting to ask a question and, and, and no information. It's literally a, a, a plea, a beg from a place of desperation saying, God, I need you to come through on this. And he said, You do it in my name. You represent me. Your desires, your wants, that's secondary. What you're asking is for my, what I desire. And what I want in this world, that's what you're asking. In my name, we represent Jesus. We said last week, in, in our culture today, when we say in someone's name, uh, in, in, the, in the context of Scripture, what that means today is you have power of attorney. You speak on my behalf and my behalf only. You do not speak on your behalf. And I just use an example. My wife has power of attorney over me. And so she gets to speak on my behalf on legal matters, on very important matters. And and she gets to do that only uh, as a representative of who I am and my desires and what I want. And so that's what Jesus is talking about there. And he said, that's going to be a natural overflow of this intimacy that that we have between um, my father and me. And so this morning, we pick up in verse 15. That's where we're going to be today. And this is another natural occurrence that we're going to look at. And I'm going to talk fast uh, because I've got some things to cover. And I shortened some of this a little bit because I knew we were going to have some extracurricular activities. But bear with me. We're going to breeze through this as quickly but as carefully as we can. In verse 15, uh, Jesus would say, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. So the intimacy of this relationship will impart to you and me the ability to do what Jesus says to do inside of this context of of this relationship with the Father and with Jesus. And many of you, I know that I have in the past have had opportunities to speak with someone who's walking through struggles, who's walking through sin. Like, look, man, my marriage is in the tank right now and I don't know what to do. Or I have this addiction. I can't quit looking at this. I can't quit doing this. I, qu- I can't quit consuming this. I got a lot of hurt and a lot of unforgiveness. Like a lot of struggles that's real that people go through. And I've had an opportunity to talk to them. And, and sadly, I would give them a laundry list. Well, here's what you need to do. You need to read your Bible more. You need to get in God's word more. You need to pray like crazy. You need to go go to God and start praying more. You need to find an accountability partner. You need someone to walk alongside you to kind of help you with that. You need to go to church more. Like just give this laundry list of things to do. And here's the problem with that. Although those things are all good, they're great advice, they're necessary, they're incredibly important, religion does not address the deep issue of sin. It does not. So we all walk around, and every one of us in this room, I don't know every one of you in this room, but here's what I do know about everyone in this room, that you're human, and because you're human, you're like me, broken, sinful, always in need of God's grace, always. And so I know this about us, and so this kind of advice for someone to just remove habitual sin from their life that's a religious concept to say, you know what, we just need to go to work. We need to start digging in and trying to fix those things that you, that's broken in your life or fix those things that you struggle with. And that's just a religious attitude to have. All those things are good and well in the context of what Jesus is gonna say here. He says, this relationship with Jesus, he is saying will impart to you and to me the ability to do what religion cannot accomplish, and that is obedience. That's what God's asking from us. And he said, you know what? You don't, none of us in this room have the power to just walk this fine line of obeying everything that Jesus said. If we all sat down and started having an honest conversation, we can find places where we've just dropped the ball. We didn't, we didn't, we didn't meet meet the, the standard here. And we also have an entire Old Testament history of a people living under this requirement that they exist under this requirement to keep all the commandments of God. And they have to walk in this and just, I don't know if you're familiar with scripture or how familiar you are, but how did they do? They didn't do too good. You read through some of the Old Testament, some of those those powerful names of scripture, Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, all those people who've been handed through through us through scripture, through history, you can go back and look at their lives. Man, it's just failure. After failure, after God redeeming and restoring and then failure, you just see that because they're human. And they walked and they lived under this. And so they weren't too good at keeping them and neither are we. Neither are we. So, so let's not fool one another. And let's not come in here and let's not act like we got all our stuff together and we're, uh, you know, we're straight and narrow, we put on our church face and our church clothes and we come here acting like we're somebody. We don't have it together. Matter of fact, I I can't even remember all of the commandments, much less keep up with them and be obedient to them. Can anybody just list all the commandments of God off the top of their head right now? So we're in a lot of trouble. We don't even know what they are. How are we going to even keep them, right? Let's not be fooled. We're all in trouble, every single one of us. So how many more mornings are we going to wake up and say, you know what, God, today is the day stake in the ground. I'm doing it today. I'm going to honor you today, God. Today's the day. I I know I messed up yesterday and I knew I said the same thing yesterday, but today is the day I'm going to work hard for you. I'm going to please you. I'm going to obey your commandments today. How many more of those are we going to have to go through before we realize that it just doesn't work? That we're going to blow it before we walk out the door. How many more days are we gonna wake up with that? Romans 3 uh, and verse 10 would say, as it's written, none is righteous. No, not one. Not one of you in this room, not me. Not anyone is righteous. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside together. They have become worthless. No one does good. Not even one. So you see, we don't have to come in and play a game now. We've already been indicted. Scripture has already spoken over us. So let's not come and play the game. No one is righteous. No, not one. How many times are we going to say, this time it'll be different, only to feel the sting of failure before we ever leave the room? How many times? And here's the key. Here's the key that, that, that opens it all up in Hebrews. The writer would say, without faith, without faith, it is impossible to please God. It's impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe. You see, that's been the theme of this entire text that we've been in for weeks and weeks and weeks. What started this whole conversation was Jesus saying, you just believe. He says, whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. So the law of God is given to show us how desperate and how how hopeless our situation is. The idea is that we look at all of the commandments and even if we don't remember them, if we just kind of roll the list out and look at everything that God requires and we go through that list, the point when we get to the end of the list is saying, I'm done, I'm done. I, I, I could probably find a place where I've broken most of those commandments. And that's the point, the point is to bring us to a place of hopelessness, saying here's God and here's what he looks like in all of his glory and all of his beauty, and here's us. And if you wanna get to God, you gotta do that, you gotta look like that, you gotta be like that. And so our nature is to try to work our way toward that. And so, so here we go, now Jesus is kinda taking us on this, on this ride here. He's, he isn't questioning, so he's not questioning these men on whether or not they love him or not. I don't think he's questioning that at all. We tend to incorrectly read that verse, by the way, and I hope we can shed some light on this today. We, we read it to say that Jesus is, is setting a condition on whether or not these guys love him. If you love me, you'll keep my commandments. Like we like to read it in that tone. But I hope today that we kind of shift the tide a little bit on what Jesus is going on here. I'm sure that Jesus knew that these men loved him. And I'm sure that many of us in this room say, I love Jesus. I love him. So the point he's trying to make here is, you know what, love is not a noun. It's not just, it's a verb. It's something that, it's an action. It's something you do. And the only fighting chance that you have and that I have of walking in obedience is to his commands is to love him. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. That's how that verse reads. If you love Jesus, you will keep his commands. Now, have we broken them? Absolutely. And so here are all the disciples begging the question then, how will we remember all the commands? How will we remember them? And and even if we can remember them, how will we even accomplish them? And Jesus anticipates these questions from his disciples and I hope from us. I hope those questions are coming up for us. Like, okay, how do I remember them first and then how do I even accomplish them? And so he promises the solution in verse 16. If you look there, he says, I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him for he dwells with you and will be in you. Jesus promises the helper. He says, there's another helper coming. And then he clarifies that that's the spirit of God. And that's who I'm sending. He's the one who's going to be able to bridge this gap for us. He's the one that's going to help you walk in a rhythm of love toward me. He's the one I'm going to send a helper. And this is a really, really unique descriptor that Jesus has given us. Um, David kind of hinted a couple of weeks ago at this when we was was coming up on it. Uh, We don't really have a word in the English language to even describe the word that Jesus used here. So like some of your Bibles, depending on what translation you have or whatever you're looking at, it might say the word counselor. Um, It might say the word comforter. It might say the word friend. Mine says helper, Um, which fits well with the context of this conversation, I think. Um, Counselor is also another very accurate description. Um, but only if it's used in a in a legal sense, in a in a judicial sense, like a like a counselor in a courtroom, and so that's how Jesus is headed here. And he said, "So consider the meaning here." He he uses this word, um, parakletos, all right, and that's the word we use. We can't. It's untranslatable in the English, and so we, your Bibles are going to say these different words. And the original meaning was basically a legal advocate or a legal assistant, someone who would come into the courtroom and assist in proceedings. That's, that's kind of how he's, he's referring to this. It's literally someone who is called in, someone who is called in. And so uh, I don't know, you know if you have a background in the court system or whatever, but there's been counsel, there's been legal counsel that's been provided or that's available. And this is the context that Jesus is speaking in right here. But the reason why this person is called in gives this word such significance the reason why he would come in, the Greeks use it to describe a person called in to give a witness to, on someone's behalf on, in their favor, um, an advocate to plead a cause for someone if they're in like a lot of trouble and they're headed down, like it's a lot, it's, they're, they're headed for some major uh, consequences that this person would come in and, and counsel for them. Um, it could be an expert called in to give advice in a difficult situation, like we got this problem, we need you to come in and give some advice. In short, Perikletos, was someone that was called in in time of trouble or in time of need. And so Jesus uses this word. He says, I'm gonna bring a helper in. I'm gonna bring a counselor in. We need to listen closely to the commands and the promise of Jesus. He's saying, you have a difficult task ahead of you, nearly impossible task that's coming your way as he's speaking to these disciples. He says, you know what, but I'm gonna send someone who's gonna guide you, who's gonna show you, who's gonna teach you, who's gonna lead you, and he's gonna enable you to accomplish the task. It's a difficult, nearly impossible task, and you can't even remember all the things that I'm telling you to do, much less accomplish them, so I'm gonna send someone who's gonna enable you to to first know and then to do all the things that I've given you to do, so the Spirit helps us to know and understand, gives us knowledge and understanding of the commands of Jesus, and then the Spirit helps us to obey them. So we don't do it on our own. It's a, we can't do it on our own. We have to have the helper. So just maybe a side note, I don't know your, um, your background, uh, but this statement, what Jesus is talking about right here gives just a clear picture of the Trinity, of just the Godhead. Like I, uh, Jesus, am the Son, and I am one with the Father, and that's who I'm going to, but I'm gonna send this helper, this Spirit of God. You see all the three of the Godhead working there in separate people. And so the Spirit is the teacher for all believers. And so as you walk in this lifestyle of faith, trying to follow Jesus, trying to be obedient to Jesus, obviously blowing it every day, some days better than others, but by the grace of God, he's given us the Spirit. So he's going to enable you to know, and he's going to give you the power to walk in it. And so now, guess what? If it, This is real popular in our church family, and and I just want to send you home with this. If you are in Christ today, if if you align yourself with Jesus Christ today and you say, I am a follower of Jesus, you don't have to walk around the world saying, I'm just a sinner saved by grace. I'm just a sinner saved by that's true. That's true. But God has applied his son's entire sacrifice on your behalf so that you are now his. And you was. You was a sinner. But by the grace of God, you have been covered. You have been covered. And so let's not walk around dragging our past as if it's going to identify us now. Let's not do that. And in fact, without the helper, without this helper, without this parakletos that Jesus is giving us, we can't even understand scripture. I was going to bring it. I, 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 uh, I used it for an illustration one time before. I have the first Bible that was ever given to me. I wasn't raised in a Christian home. I didn't, I didn't meet Jesus until I was 23 years old. And so for 23 years, um, every so often we would uh, like go to church. If there's like a special occasion or like they were cooking or something like that, we would go. Uh, that was always a good time, but uh, not anything. Didn't know the gospel, didn't, didn't, didn't grow up in that kind of culture. Right. But it was culturally acceptable for my parents to buy me a Bible. And so from a young age, I had this Bible and it always sat right there on my, near my bed. And I knew for some reason that was important and that's where it belonged. And so when I was in a lot of trouble, like dad says, go wait in the room. I'll be there in a minute. I hate that. That's the time that I would like read Genesis chapter one. (laughs) And then like he would come interrupt Genesis chapter one pretty quick. And so I never would get through Genesis chapter one. And so, you know, a couple of days later, we were going through this exercise again, and I was in Genesis chapter one again. I still have that Bible. It still sits in my office there, and, and it's just a reminder of this right here. I had no clue what I was reading. I had no idea what I was reading. This, it was not interesting to me. It was just information that didn't make sense. It seemed out of this world to me because I didn't have the helper. I didn't have the spirit to help me understand, to illuminate the word for me and to show me what it means. And this isn't something that I'm just making up. Paul would say in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 12, he says, now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given to us by God. And we impart this in words, not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the spirit interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him. They make no sense to him, they're foolish to him. And he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. And not only does the Spirit enable us to understand, but he also empowers us to walk according to God's command. So you don't do it on your own. You don't do it on your own. God would even go on to say, you're evil for even trying. Like that's, that's just out of your own sinful nature that you're even trying to do it on your own. You have to do it, do it through the spirit. In Romans chapter seven, I was sharing this with uh, one of my friends last week after the service. And as I was hitting this um, this week, all week, I'm like, man, this is exactly what I told him. We, we need to read this together because this is us, Romans chapter seven, but in verse five, it says, for while we were living in the flesh, our sinful passions, when we live in the flesh, when we don't live in the spirit, but in the flesh, sinful passions aroused by the law. Okay, so here we go. The laws of God aroused by the law were at work in our members to bear fruit for death. Our attempts at trying to do good are even wicked in the sight of God outside of of who Christ is, outside of his covering, outside of his grace but now we are released from the law. That's good news. It's good news because we've already established that we're no good at keeping the law. Now we are released from the law, having died to that which held us captive so that we serve in a new way of the spirit and not in the old way of the written code. We don't live under that Old Testament requirement that everybody tried to keep and just blew it. The only hope we have is the promise that the Old Testament people had, I'm sending someone who's gonna do it for you. He's coming, he's coming and he's gonna accomplish it for you. So before the Spirit permanently came to indwell in believers, God's commands brought about an awareness and a conviction of sin. They knew something was wrong, they just didn't know how to fix it. And so that's what the law does. Paul would go on in verse 10 and say, the very commandment that promised life proved to be death for me. For sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, deceived me and through it killed me. Here's what the apostle Paul's saying, because that can be a little bit confusing. As I became aware of the demands of God, as I become aware of that, my flesh looked for ways to act contrary to those laws. As I I saw them, something came up in me that wanted to act against those that's what he's saying here. So, so when I was born again in the spirit, he says, he would go on to say, I was released from that. I was released from the law and empowered to act according to God's desires. Now we walk in the spirit and the spirit leads us and points us in the ways that God desires. And we get to walk in that power, the work of the spirit and the life of those who follow Jesus is so fundamental that it is the identifier for Christianity. It is the the identifier for Christianity. And Jesus would go on and say these words. And at a glance, it, it seems like these words are randomly placed here. But look at verse 18. It says, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come for you. Now, it may seem random until you stop and consider the current mood in the room. You think about what's going on in this room. You think about what's going on with these disciples. You think about all the things that have been going on up to this point. Just minutes ago, Judas Iscariot just abruptly gets up from the table and runs out of the room. Jesus says something to him and he leaves the room. He's headed off to to flip on Jesus. He's headed off to sell Jesus down the river. And just right after that, Peter wants to be awesome and he wants to say, well, not me. I would never do that. Even if it means death, I'm following you, Jesus. And Jesus says, sit down. Sit down and quit saying silly things because before breakfast time, you're going to deny me three times. And so this, this is the mood in the room right now. All this is going on after Jesus has just said, hey, guys, I'm out. I'm bailing. It's over. What we've been clicking along with for the last couple of years, it ends tonight. Anger, confusion, shock. Like that's the mood in the room right now. And imagine the hopelessness and the fear that they're feeling in this moment right now. Jesus is bailing. Judas, Judas he, he just flipped. Like he was with us and he just flipped. And I don't know, I don't know, what, I don't know what problem Jesus has with Peter, but he won't even let him like, talk here. And in that moment, have you ever had a situation like that? Have you ever been in a situation where, you know, everything's just clicking along just fine and then just take a sucker punch out of left field and everything crumble apart? Have you ever been in a situation like that? I want you to recall that situation. I want you to recall that moment and go into that moment right now and hear what Jesus is saying. He looks into the eyes of his disciples and he says, I'm not leaving you as orphans. I'm not gonna leave you. And that word orphan literally means fatherless. He says, I'm not gonna leave you fatherless. Yet a little while and the world will see me no more, but you will see me because I live. Because I live, you also will live. So when Jesus says, see me, he means behold me. It's not just like, oh, I see him. It's like stand in in a gaze at him. Stand in awe of him. When you you see me, when you behold me, the world won't behold me, but you will behold me. He's making a beautiful promise right here in this moment. He's saying, look, guys, I'm out of here in just a few hours. Like this thing is headed to the cross. That's where it's going. This conversation is fixing to end, and we're going to head out. I'm going to say a prayer over you guys, and then we're leaving out of here And then we're going to get scattered. And the next time you see me, I'm going to be pinned up on a tree. And you will be left to carry my name to the ends of the earth. You'll be left to do that. And in those times, in those times of of uncertainty, it's going to be fraught with fear And it's even playing out in that room. You see it playing out in that room. And he's saying, when we get up and leave from this room, there's gonna be times in your life when you are scared senseless. There's gonna be times when you will experience homelessness. There will be times in your life when you're gonna experience pennilessness. You're gonna be broke, you're gonna be poor, you're gonna be thrown in jail. No one's gonna be around you, you're gonna be alone. You're not gonna have anywhere to stay. Every turn, you're gonna be rejected, but there will never be a moment that you will not be without a father, never. He will always be with you. I will not leave you fatherless. I will not leave you as an orphan. I will not. And here is the entire unfathomable theme of all of scripture, that God is our father. That's very unique. Jesus described God in many ways throughout his ministry. He would describe him as light, as love, as holy, as powerful, as majestic. He would describe him in all those ways. But as often as he tried to explain the, the attributes of God, the characteristic of God, who God is in creative ways in any way he could, no description was used more than father. None. He always referred to him as father. And not just any father, but a perfect father. I have a Uh, a few guys that I love to, to read, um, guys who've had voices in the church for years and years. And and just, uh, in this past generation, there was one named A.W. Tozer. And he said this, he said, the most important thing about a person is what they think about when they think about God. The most important thing about you is what you think about when you think about God. How you view God will determine more about you than anything else. And that's what Tozer's saying here. And so in these moments of uncertainty and fear, even joy, even mundane humdrum routine of your life, how you perceive God, how you understand God, how you see God will determine how you act. It will determine what you say. It will determine how you think. It will determine everything about you, everything. And so what do you think about God? What do you think about when you think about God? Jesus goes on to reinforce this relationship, this intimate relationship that he has with the Father, and subsequently our relationship with the Father, if we're in Christ. He would say in verse 20, and we're gonna try to breeze through and wrap it up here, in that day, you will know that I am in the Father, I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. Now, you might read that and have some difficulty um, picturing what Jesus is saying, I did. I had to kind of go to work on that because a, he seemed like he was kind of talking in circles for a minute. Jesus has already promised. We're going to do a little backtrack in here. Jesus has already promised in verse 17 that he will give us the Spirit of God to dwell inside of us. Now he says that he will be in us and we will be in him, and together we will dwell in the Father. That we'll be hidden with God together. And so, so backtracking, we're at the back half of this private conversation that Jesus is having with his disciples. This private moment. Here's where we're at, and he's wrapping it up. And this is the night of his arrest. And in chapter 14, verse one, he would start shifting this conversation a little bit. A lot of confusion going on in the room. Judas just left. Peter's being foolish. And he shifts the conversation with the words, believe. That's how he shifts it. Everything's chaos in the room, everything's headed toward hopelessness. And all Jesus says is, believe. Believe in me. That's what's going to carry you through all of this, is believing in me. Throughout this chapter, Jesus is explaining what is involved in believing throughout this chapter he says I'm going to go prepare a place for you in my father's house and then I'm going to come back and I'm going to get you and I'm going to bring you with me that's what's involved with this believing while I'm gone while I'm gone doing that preparing that place you're going to do works that I did you're going to do even greater works than I did that's what's involved in believing and to sweeten the deal he said I'm going to send the helper because you don't have to be alone you don't have to do this by yourself you're incapable of doing it by yourself and here in verse 20, the word in, if you're one who writes or highlights or whatever you want, to, that's an important word for us to, to look at. It's probably the word that throws you off is the one that threw me off uh, because it was just used so repetitively. But Jesus is painting a picture of a family. He's painting a picture of a family. That's a familial term, that word in. He's belie- he's, Jesus says believing in him will ultimately, ultimately play out in being adopted into the family of God. That's what believing will get you. So we have an understanding now, okay? That means family, so I got that associated that I'm gonna be adopted into this family. Does anybody in the room have difficulty receiving that? Like, is that something hard? Like, okay, I understand the whole family concept that Jesus is talking about and he's talking about this father. Does anybody have a hard time receiving that? Because it's a sad reality that, that so many people, when the word father is spoken, it's not a welcoming term. It's not. Some, for some of you, it just might be a wake of hurt. And like, man, that, that doesn't sound good to me at all. Because my only reference to father is just pain and hurt, loneliness, abandonment, whatever it might be. And so do you have a hard time receiving what Jesus is saying? That's what makes these words of Jesus so hard to receive, is that we have this context that we live in in our individual lives that that just doesn't sound good. My only concept of a father or a family is just a hot mess. And so I don't want nothing to do with it. But the reality of what Jesus is saying here is that when you believe in him, when you put your faith in him, you're adopted into God's family and you're given a new identity. You don't walk around in all of that brokenness and all that mess that you've come from. He says, I'm giving you a new identity, a new name. You're coming into our family. And so to, to say that we're getting a new identity implies that we have an old identity, and all of us do. Every single one of us have an old, old identity. We walk around with this mark. In Romans chapter 5, Paul would say in verse 12, therefore just as sin came into the world through one man, that one man being Adam, that, we read, that I, I read about a lot in Genesis 1, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sin, all of us, every single person in this room that has breath bears the mark of their father, Adam. Every one of us, every single one of us. And because we belong to him, we receive this inheritance. And it's the inheritance of sin and death. That's the inheritance. And we're all born with this mark. And if you have a hard time believing that, I invite you to interview a kids church worker when when we're concluding our services. All of us are born with this. And it's not something that was taught. It was handed to us from our father, Adam. I never did teach my kids to say no. That was just in their bloodline. That's what they were born with. And the result of that sin, the result of that brokenness is death. And, and I, had to, I didn't want to be uh, handing out any misinformation today. So I had to check it before we got here this morning. And, and it's still, it still holds true that the, the death rate is holding somewhere in the neighborhood of about 100%. And every single one of us are headed there because of the fall, because of what our fa- father Adam did, for what we inherited. It's a reality and Jesus is saying to us this morning in these verses, I have better for you. I have a better place for you. I have a better life for you. And you don't have to do it by yourself and you don't have to pack an identity that that looks dark and that looks hard and broken and there's this wake of hurt, you don't have to pack that around anymore because you're getting a new name, you're getting a new family, you're getting a new identity and you don't have to do it alone he's going to go to this place in a a few short hours from this conversation and pay the ultimate penalty so that we can be in him and he can be in us and we together can dwell with the father and it takes him going to the cross that's where he's got that's where he's got to deal with this and by this we live and walk in this new identity a new mark on us a new identity on us we don't We don't bear the the mark of condemnation and judgment anymore. You get that? In Christ, we don't walk around in condemnation and judgment any longer. That's freedom. We're going to celebrate freedom this week. That's the freedom we need to be celebrating. We bear the mark of rescue and forgiveness. We bear the mark of Jesus. Jesus. for all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons and daughters, by whom we cry the most most personal way that a human can address God, Abba Father, my daddy. The most personal, intimate relationship by the Spirit, we cry out, "Abba, Father." And Jesus says, "To be led by the Spirit, and so become sons and daughters of God." All you need do is believe. All you need do is believe. So what I hope, I hope today is that that's what you that's what you gather from this is that oh, it's just belief. I don't have to. You mean to tell me I don't have to do all of these things first? Because I walked around in that life for a couple of years, listening to the gospel over and over and over and saying, okay, as soon as I get my crap together, I'm going I'm, to I'm gonna, I'm gonna follow Jesus. I'm going for it. And it wasn't until years in of hearing the gospel over and over and over that I'm like, okay, I get it. I can't do it. And, and the preacher guy up there just said that Jesus has to do it. And all I need to do is believe that he can do it. And so I did. And it's true. And so I don't want you to leave out of here today and say, well, you know what? Um, The guy said uh, in in the church this morning that, um, you know, I don't don't love God if I'm not doing what he says. Because that's how that verse would read. We would read that as a condition, right? You said, no, no, no. No, if you love me. There's a whole lot of things coming your way. There's forgiveness and there's redemption. There's a helper. There's a father. There's a place. There's all of these things that that come with just believing. And you will do the things that I, I command. You will do them if you love me. So just believe. Do you believe? Do you believe that what Jesus is saying about himself is true? I'm praying that over this room today, and I'm asking every one of you to search. I don't care if, if you uh, were one of these young ones one day at VBS and you prayed a prayer. I want you to, I want you to search your heart today. Do you believe Jesus?